To the Royal Academy of Farting by Benjamin Franklin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gentlemen, I have perused your late mathematical prize question, proposed in lieu of one in natural philosophy, for the ensuing year, viz. Une figure quelconque donnée, on demande d'inscrire le plus grand nombre de fois possible une autre figure plus petite quelconque, qui est aussi donnée. I was glad to find by these following words. L'Académie en jugeait ce cette découverte, en entente les bornes de nos convoissons ne servaient pas sans utilité that you esteem utility an essential point in your enquiries, which has not always been the case with all academies. And I would conclude, therefore, that you have given this question instead of a philosophical, or as the learned express it, a physical one, because you could not at the time think of a physical one that promised greater utility. Permit me then humbly to propose one of that sort for your consideration, and through you, if you approve it, for the serious inquiry of learned physicians, chemists, and etc. of this enlightened age. It is universally well known that in digesting our common food there is created, or produced, in the bowels of human creatures a great quantity of wind. That the permitting this air to escape and mix with the atmosphere is usually offensive to the company from the fetid smell that accompanies it. That all well-bred people, therefore, to avoid giving such offence, forcibly restrain the efforts of nature to discharge that wind. That so retained, contrary to nature, it not only gives frequently great present pain, but occasions future diseases, such as habitual colics, ruptures, tympanies, etc., often destructive of the constitution, and sometimes of life itself. Were it not for the odiously offensive smell accompanying such escapes, polite people would probably be under no more restraint in discharging such wind in company than they are in spitting or in blowing their noses. My prize question, therefore, should be to discover some drug wholesome and not disagreeable, to be mixed with our common food or sauces that shall render the natural discharges of wind from our bodies not only inoffensive, but agreeable as perfumes. That this is not a chimerical project, and altogether impossible, may appear from these considerations, that we already have some knowledge of means capable of varying that smell. He that dines on stale flesh, especially with much addition of onions, shall be able to afford a stink that no company can tolerate, while he that has lived for some time on vegetables only shall have that breath so pure as to be insensible to the most delicate noses. And if he can manage so as to avoid the report, he may anywhere give vent to his griefs unnoticed. But as there are many to whom an entire vegetable diet would be inconvenient, 
and as a little quicklime thrown into a jakes will correct the amazing quantity of fetid air arising from the vast mass of putrid matter contained in such places, and render it rather pleasing to the smell, who knows but that a little powder of lime, or some other equivalent, taken in our food, or perhaps a glass of lime water drank at dinner, may have the same effect on the air produced in and issuing from our bowels. This is worth the experiment. Certain it is also that we have the power of changing, by slight means, the smell of another discharge, that of our water. A few stems of asparagus eaten shall give our urine a disagreeable odor, and a pill of turpentine no bigger than a pea shall bestow on it the pleasing smell of violets. And why should it be thought more impossible in nature to find means of making a perfume of our wind than of our water? For the encouragement of this inquiry, from the immortal honor to be reasonably expected by the inventor, let it be considered of how small importance to mankind, or to how small a part of mankind have been useful, those discoveries in science that have heretofore made philosophers famous. Are there twenty men in Europe at this day the happier, or even the easier, for any knowledge they have picked out of Aristotle? What comfort can the vortices of Descartes give to a man who has whirlwinds in his bowels? The knowledge of Newton's mutual attraction of the particles of matter, can it afford ease to him who is racked by their mutual repulsion and the cruel distensions it occasions. The pleasure arising to a few philosophers from seeing, a few times in their life, the threads of light untwisted and separated by the Newtonian prism into seven colors, can it be compared with the ease and comfort every man living might feel seven times a day by discharging freely the wind from his bowels? especially if it be converted into a perfume. For the pleasures of one sense being little inferior to those of another, instead of pleasing the sight, he might delight the smell of those about him, and make numbers happy, which, to a benevolent mind, must afford infinite satisfaction. The generous soul, who now endeavors to find out whether the friends he entertains like best claret or burgundy, champagne or madeira, would then inquire also whether they chose musk or lily, rose or bergamot, and provide accordingly. And surely such a liberty of expressing one's sentiments, and pleasing one another, is of infinitely more importance to human happiness than that liberty of the press, or of abusing one another, which the English are so ready to fight and die for. In short, this invention, if completed, would be, as Bacon expresses it, bringing philosophy home to men's business and bosoms. I cannot but conclude that in comparison therewith, for universal and continual utility, the science of the philosophers above mentioned, even with the addition, gentlemen, of your figure quelconque, and the figures inscribed in it, are altogether scarcely worth a farthing. End of To the Royal Academy of Farting by Benjamin Franklin
Read by Rick Rodstrom.